want to jump in here on our message. Uh, we're continuing along in our series on elders. And I want to start by telling you something about me that you may not realize. I won a baby contest when I was four months old. All right, I was cute. All right, so, sorry, I don't have a picture to, to prove it to you. Um, but I mean, I, I, was, I was good. I won the pageant. Now, it was only in Shenandoah, Iowa, uh, you know, at the July 4th festivities. But hey, it, it still counts, right? And so I, I've been hearing that, you know, sometimes we need to relive our childhood. And so I've been thinking, like, it'd be really fun to recapture that moment again, especially since I didn't really remember it. And so I've decided I'm going to go out for a beauty pageant. And I'm always told that you should shoot for the stars, like just go for it. So I decided I was going to apply for the Miss America pageant. However, this week when I went to the website to apply, I discovered they wouldn't let me. Because it turns out that they only allow single females between the ages of 17 and 25 who've never had kids and have won like a local and state competition. Now, I've won the local competition, but I fail on every other item. I probably also fail on the attractiveness end of the things, but that's going too far. How can they discriminate against me? It's, it's not fair. They're keeping me from my dreams, right? Okay, yes, this is ridiculous. I do not fancy dreams of tiaras on my head. Uh, I, I have no desire to wear the sash or the dress or any of that stuff. My point is this, that we live in a day and an age where these lines get drawn saying, here's who is allowed in, and it makes a lot of people mad. They get really upset. They get really, really bothered by it. Take, for instance, just a few months ago, the Boy Scouts of America decided to drop the name boy from their name. They just became the Scouts of America, and they opened it up for girls to join. There are many people who just hailed this decision. Like, this is a great thing because these girls who've had this desire to be involved in, you know, camping and woodworking and all the things and the values that the Boy Scouts embody, that there are girls who are very drawn to this. And so why can't they be a part of it as well? And yet there were some people who didn't like it. Primarily the Girl Scouts of America were really, really bothered by this decision. And yet this sort of discrimination is all over the place. For instance, there's age discrimination. If you are under age 35, you cannot run for president, no matter how badly you want. You just, you have to wait. There's physical discrimination. Turns out if you're legally blind, they will not let you become a commercial airline pilot, right? They, they just won't let you, no matter how badly you love the rush of flying. There's, uh, what, what others? Um, there's, uh, oh, if, if you want to become a foster parent, you can't have a criminal record. You have to have a house big enough. You have to meet certain income requirements. And so they will discriminate against you based on your past or your economic standing. There is discrimination all over the place. Now, I don't want you to hear, mishear me and, and thinking that I'm saying that all these, you know, discrimination, these lines are, are good things. No, I, I think sometimes we need to erase these lines. For, for instance, I think it's an actually a very good thing that women and people of color have the right to vote. I do not think it should just be for white men who own property. Like, no, this is an, a right. We're all representative. We all should have this right. So I'm glad those lines have been blurred and erased. But sometimes these lines have been put in place for a reason. And that's what bothers so many people. And so because there have been some very bad lines drawn in life, and certain boundaries set where certain groups were excluded, 
there's been a cultural push to get rid of all lines. And so anytime you find a line drawn, a, a box made, they try to get rid of it, even if that box may have actually been there for good. And one of the areas that I see these lines being tried to erase and pushed out is within the church. Today, we're going to talk about who is qualified to be an elder. And as we start working through Paul's list in the book of Titus, we're going to notice that there are all sorts of people who are not allowed into that role of elder, that it's for certain few. However, what I also hope you hear is that it's not just for the elite or the rich or the, the, the best looking or, or, you know, whoever, that actually it's just the gift that God has given certain people. Just like certain people have gifts in other areas, certain people have been given gifts to help lead and shepherd a church family. And so the lines that are there, it isn't to try to exclude people. It's actually there to try to help people follow Jesus. And that's what it's about. So I realize today's message is for some of us going to be a little uncomfortable. Uh, some of us are going to get a little bothered. We're gonna, I'm going to end up pushing some buttons on you. And so I just want to pray for this time uh, so that we all can really get into the scriptures. All right. So Heavenly Father, as uh, we as we jump into this, uh, I just pray right now for your uh, amazing grace to just flood this place and our hearts and our minds. Uh, we're going to look at some things, and, um, and some of it's, it's going to be bothersome because we're going to see some lines that many of us are going to wish was erased and, and taken away. And, um, and so, Father, I pray that you'd help us right now to not just think in the way our, our culture thinks or to think in the way based on our past or just think in what feels right to us, but instead that today we would be open to hearing from you and we would start to try and look and think of what you have designed for us. Because we are your people, we're part of your church, and so we want to understand who is it that you've called to help steward, to lead, to serve your church, and, and then what can we, as this church family, help make sure those right people get into those positions. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd speak through me, uh, that you would uh, you just give me courage to say what, what you want me to say. This wouldn't be about me trying to please certain people, or, or uh, I, I definitely don't want to offend uh, anyone. Um, but God, I, I just want to submit this to you and ask for you to take it and use it for your glory as well as for our benefit. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible with you today, go ahead and open it up to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. If you're not quite sure where Titus is, there's a cheat sheet on the screen. You're going to notice in my, my Bible, it's way towards the back. Uh, so you just keep flipping back there. If you've got a phone uh, with a Bible on it, if you're new uh, here to Riverwood, you might notice some people pulling that out. That's totally fine. We're, we're great with you. You're pulling that out. We're not going to accuse you of heading to uh, Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram. Um, besides, don't Instagram me because then... Uh, People won't believe that I want to go up for the Miss America pageant. Uh, the book of Titus was written not by Titus. It was actually written by Paul. Uh, Paul wrote several epistles, letters, three of which were written to pastors. And so they're known as the uh, pastoral epistles. Two of those letters were written to the same guy, Timothy. That's why we have first and second Timothy. But he wrote another letter to another pastor named Titus. Uh, we believe this letter had been written between 1st and 2nd Timothy, somewhere around 62 to 64 uh, AD. And uh, Paul knew Titus really well. Uh, Titus was actually a Greek man 
who began to travel around with Paul, helping to preach the gospel and plant churches. In fact, Titus, we learn in 2 Corinthians, was one of the people that got that, that Paul entrusted with his first letter to the Corinthians to take it to them. And this was his severe letter. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians, Paul gets pretty harsh. He really starts hammering after these Corinthians. And Titus was the one who had to bring this bad news and then bring back the report to Paul of their response. And so Titus was a very trusted individual by Paul. And so Paul and Titus and some of the guys that were with them, they, they ended up on the island of Crete during their travels. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word island, I, I kind of think of this small little landmass out in the middle of the, the ocean, the sea. But Crete isn't just some little, you know, landmass with a couple, you know, miles of diameter. No, it's 160 miles long. That's from here to Minneapolis. And it was about 37 miles wide. That's from here to Hampton, Iowa. Right, so we're not talking just this little Hawaiian island. We're talking a big island. And it didn't just have a couple of people groups on it. Uh, back in the 9th century BC, Homer called Crete the island of a hundred cities. He may have been exaggerating, but it meant that there was quite a population there. It was well populated. Even to this day, Crete has over half a million people living on it. So it's a large island. So because there were people there, Paul wanted to take the gospel there. And so Paul and Titus and the guys end up on Crete and they start traveling from city to city sharing the gospel. And what ended up happening was some people believed what they heard and so churches began to form. Well, it was these churches that were young and kind of in need of leadership. And so Paul leaves Titus behind to do two things. Notice it in Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So before Paul took off, he's like, Titus, these guys need a lot of help. I'm leaving you to here, here to help them. And here's what I need you to do. Two things. Help just get these things organized. Get these things in order. Just help disciple them, get, get things together. But you can't stay. In fact, if you look over in, in chapter three, you'll notice that Paul says, hey, when these other guys get there, I need you to come to me. Meet me over here at this other city. So Titus isn't supposed to stay. And so he's saying, Titus, I need you to help appoint elders for this place. Now, I know all sorts of churches that do what Paul has just told Titus to do. They, they try to get things organized. They get things all together. And one of the things they do in, in organizing their churches, they appoint elders. But oftentimes I've noticed that some of these churches, their elders are the guys who are most successful. Like they have the biggest houses and the nicest cars. They, they make the most money. They, they have the most titles or, or sometimes the elders of these churches, just the people who've been around the longest, or maybe the people who are just the most popular. And sometimes it's just the person who's most outspoken. And so because they're so opinionated, they think, well, surely he's a leader. And so they, they put them on the elder board. Paul has a very different list. It isn't to be the richest. It isn't to be who you just like. He begins to give us a very specific list of who should be an elder. And that's what we get into. Join me in verse 6. Here's who an elder should be. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, 
and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I've taken the, these four verses and I've reduced them down to one sentence. And so here is our summary sentence for today. An elder must be a man of a blameless character who shepherds his family and those around him willingly lead the church to uphold the gospel. What I want to do today is I want to walk through this summary sentence, kind of phrase by phrase, help you see what Paul is calling for, because it's going to help us as a church family to help identify who is it that God's calling from among us to be our elders, our pastors. So the first thing we see is a man of blameless character, a man of blameless character. We notice in verse six, the very first thing Paul points out is that this man must be above reproach. And he says it again down in verse seven, he must be above reproach. So this is clearly very, very important Then he mentions it twice. What does it mean to be above reproach? The Greek here is should, should be or could be translated if anyone is blameless blameless. Have you ever known someone who just throughout life always seems to have like this edge to them where they always seem to be like just on the verge of getting in trouble or there's certain questions about them or activities that they've done. Maybe it's like a politician or, or an actor, or maybe it was someone at work, you know, and, and these things just kind of trail with them and they always seem to skirt the issue. They always seem to come out scot-free and yet there's just these kind of lingering questions about them. That person should probably not be an elder. They, they, they might be really popular. They might be really rich. They, they might have the title of bank president. They may have even graduated at the top of their seminary. But if there's just these things about them that just kind of make people go, I don't know. They probably shouldn't be an elder because they're not above reproach. They're not blameless. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Blameless does not mean perfect. No one is perfect. None of us are completely free of sin. Even though Jesus died for our sin, we still struggle with it. No one is scot free. And so to, to look for someone who's above reproach, blameless, it doesn't mean that they're free of sin, but it does mean that when they sin, they stumble towards grace. They, they go towards the, the gospel. They, they run to Jesus instead of making excuses or, or finding a way out of the situation. Um, Paul spells out for us uh, more of what this blameless life looks like. Notice down in the second half of verse six, he says that this person must not be open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. I was comparing this verse uh, to a couple other translations, and I noticed for debauchery, they use the word dissipation. And I, I thought that was a really interesting word. Like, I know what it means for something to dissipate, but how do you accuse someone of dissipation? And so I, I looked it up, and it means to fritter away or squander something. And one of the footnotes said something about being a prodigal. That, that brought to mind the story of the prodigal son. If, if you're not familiar with the story, it's about this son who, who goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I, I, I want my money now. And for some crazy reason, Dad does it. He, he gives his son his inheritance. The younger son runs off and wastes it. He dissipates his inheritance. 
He fritters it away. He squanders it. He enters into debauchery, into wild living. If someone is engaged in that, then they're not qualified to be an elder. I don't care how charismatic they are. I don't care if they're famous. I don't care if they've just got a really big personality. If they're dissipating what God has given them, if they're engaged in debauchery, they're not to be an elder. Even if they have all sorts of like leader qualities, ultimately as a leader, you also have to be a follower. And if they're not following Jesus, if they're more following self, they're not an elder. And that's what Paul gets into in the next kind of definition. Look down in verse 7. After he repeats that this person must be above reproach, he says, He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Notice in there, every single one of those is someone who is focused on self. I mean, for instance, if you're arrogant, it means you, you are thinking way too highly of yourself. You're, you're boasting about how great you are. Quick-tempered means you get angry like that because it's not going your way. If You'd be fine if it went your way, but because it's not, you get angry. You're quick-tempered. A drunkard, uh, you're, you're constantly drinking, trying to make yourself feel good because it's all about you. Violent. You ever know someone who's been verbally violent? Maybe even physically violent? Why are they violent? Because it's not going the way they want. And so they resort to control, to manipulate through violence to get what they want. And the last one there, greedy for gain. Constantly wanting more money, more things, more of your time. If you're going to be an elder, you can't be focused on self. Because to be an elder means you have to be a steward. And so you have to steward God's church, which means you're stewarding God's people. So you have to be others focused. So the way I like to say it is that an elder needs to be Jesus-centered and others focused. But if you're engaged in these activities, you're focused on self and you're not fit to be an elder. The line is drawn and you get left out. So this is the first thing is we see that this um, uh, must be a, a man of a blameless character. Before we get to the next phrase, uh, a shepherd uh, of his family, uh, I need to stop and make, make one clarifying. You'll notice there that we had the word, a man of blameless character. I, I need to take a moment and talk about that word there, a man. Because I believe that Paul is saying that an elder must be male. Now, I know my church family well enough to know that me saying that phrase right there makes some of you go, yes. Because that's what you believe. You believe the Bible is very clear on that. So for me to say that, you're just like, preach it, Aaron. But others of you, I know, you're suddenly uncomfortable. You, you, you're, you're frustrated. Maybe you're even actually disappointed in me. How, how Aaron, could you believe such a narrow-minded, antiquated, out-of-touch mentality? How, how dare you keep out women from this role of elder or pastor? What if God has gifted them for it? Shouldn't they get to do it? This is a highly contentious issue in the church today. If you don't believe me, I invite you to read my Twitter feed. Or, better yet, go on YouTube or, or go search the blogosphere. Look for articles that have been written on this topic. And then go down to the comments section. And you will notice just vitriolic, vile stuff being thrown at one another. And you look at it, like, how can they belittle each other and, and reduce to name-calling and just to engage in very unchristlike behavior as they talk about women's leadership within the church? This is incredibly contentious. And so, just so you know, where Riverwood is moving forward, I need to let you know 
that we're moving forward with what is called a complementarian viewpoint. The big debate is egalitarian versus complementarian. Egalitarian comes from the idea of equal, that men and women are equal in all aspects, and so therefore all levels of leadership are available to both men and women. Complementarian viewpoint says that men and women complement each other, that they're such a great pair that they can do more together as they assume the various roles that God has for them. Now, our culture is at a place where it's very egalitarian in its viewpoint. Like, we, we have people today who, they'd have no problem having a female president. Honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with having a female president or a female governor, or female mayor, that, you know, government positions open to women. Uh, we, I was just at this leadership summit uh, Thursday and Friday. Several of the presenters were women. They were incredibly smart, incredibly talented, and I, and I learned some things from them. And, and, and so the, it, our culture is fine with this. But when it comes to the church, for a church to say, well, yeah, but this, this role over here is just for, for men, that right there, those lines make a lot of people uncomfortable and really upset. So I want to I want to explain a little bit of why we're we're here and how we're going to approach this. Unfortunately, I don't have the time. This deserves not only its own sermon; it probably deserves its own entire series. Right? There are books and books and books written on this topic, and so there's no way I can do this justice in this little bit of time. So rather than try and go and defend where where we're standing, let let me kind of explain um, how we're going to approach this. And the way I want to approach it is just to let you know, I don't want to be complementarian. I actually want to be an egalitarian, right? First, have you met my wife? She's an amazing, gifted, intelligent, godly, wise woman, right? I lean on her for so much. That alone right there makes me want to say, yeah, it's open to everyone. And then God gave me two wonderful daughters. And one of those seems to have a spiritual gift of teaching. And I want to see her use these gifts for God's glory and for God's kingdom, because I know that's where her greatest joy will be found. On, on top of that, I have friends who are on both sides of this issue. I mean, like close friends, people I would entrust my life to. And some are on the egalitarian side and some are on the complementarian side. I've read all sorts of books and I see people who are way smarter than me. I mean, they've got more degrees and letters after their name than I could ever dream of having. And yet they fall on both sides of this. And then when you throw in there that I actually have friends, females, who hold the title of pastor at their church. And, and sometimes they've actually called me for input and advice. And I want to do what I can to help and encourage them because their goal is to help people find Jesus and follow him. And then when you throw on top of it, the, the kind of cultural pressure, I, I want to be egalitarian. And yet the more I study the scripture, the more I dig in, the more I end up falling on a complementarian side. And part of me doesn't like it. It's uncomfortable. I, I used to call myself a cautious complementarian. But yet, I'm convinced that for the health of the church, the way God designed life to be lived, for us to find this in Jesus, God wants to take some men and use them to help everyone in the church find their spot and use their gifts for God's kingdom and God's glory. Now, this does not mean we don't have women in leadership at Riverwood. I mean, we currently do. I, I think there's room in the scriptures for, for female deacons. And kind of acting as deacons within Riverwood are, are I'm just two examples, Bridget and, and Lori. Bridget just recently said yes to being our Kids Creek director. 
She's been leading our elementary. She's been doing a phenomenal job. And so it just was the right step for her to take over kind of leadership of the whole thing, of, of elementary through nursery. And she's going to do awesome, right? I'm so excited about it. And we are a better church because of her leadership. Uh, Lori Albright does all of our hospitality stuff, helping coordinate all the food and, and a lot of our decorations. And she's gotten a lot of you involved in that. And, and uh, last Thursday night as we were here setting up, I was just talking about the leadership summit that I'd been at all day. And all of a sudden I looked at Lori and was like, wait, what are you doing tomorrow? So I invited her to come along on Friday. And it was a joy to get to invest in her as a leader because I know it's going to benefit Riverwood as it was benefiting her. And, and, and so we want to find these spots that we all can contribute. But when it comes to that pastor role, that elder role, I'm just convinced that the scriptures say it's to be a male. Not because men are better. It's just what God has designed. And so let me, let me say this. If you fall on the egalitarian side of this debate, I want you to know you are welcome at Riverwood. We are not going to look at you as being less than, that you're wrong, all right? Because again, there are people who study this in depth, and yet they fall on opposite sides of this. And so we're going to take a very open-handed approach, which means by being open-handed on this, we will at times join hands with other churches who fall on the other side of this. I mean, we're already doing it. The, the Waverly VBS and the Waverly Food Bank, we partner with churches who are egalitarian in their approach. How can we do that? Because this is not a salvific issue. When you get to heaven, God is not going to sit there and say, all right, so should a man be an elder or can a woman? No. This is not the entrance exam into heaven. And so it means we're going to just take this with an open-handed approach, seeking to help place godly qualified men into these positions to help lead us and help all of us be the church that God has called us to be. But I'm also going to ask you to do this. Pray for us. If you are right in your egalitarian understanding, would you just pray that God would show us and our new elders the truth? That we would understand from Scripture, not based on culture, not based on past experience, not just based on feelings, but based upon the Scripture and what God has taught us. But at that same time, as you pray that for us, I'm just going to ask you, would you also pray that God show you the truth and that he'd help you not make this decision based upon the types of churches you've been involved in or, or maybe you know, your, your feelings on this issue or, or where our culture is currently at? But that instead, he would help convince you from his timeless scriptures. I'll just let you know, I have been part of churches that were egalitarian, and I've been part of churches that were complementarian. And the focus in both of them was Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do here. We're going to focus on Jesus. We're not going to spend tons of time fighting and debating on this, because I think that will get us off the mission that God has for us. But just to be fair, I need to let you know, where we as a church are going, and who it is we're going to be looking for, because I'm convinced this is what the scriptures teach, and so this is who we're going to be looking for. So we're going to be looking for a man of blameless character. What does this man of blameless character need to do? He needs to be someone who shepherds his family, who shepherds his family. In verse 6, you see Paul reference that this, this elder must be the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, all right? Um, first of all, the husband of one wife. This does not mean that the elder must be married. It means that if the man is married, he's faithful to his wife. Now, maybe he's married, but he's a flirt. 
He, he, he seems to always be, be talking in sexual innuendos and, and jokes just seem to be inappropriate. And he just doesn't seem to really be there for his wife. He's not a one-woman man. Then the line is drawn and he should not be an elder. Oh, I, I forgot to mention, part of the reason for these lines, to be an elder, it's, it's more than just leading organizationally, even though that's part of it. It's also more than just leading relationally, even though that's also a very big part of being an elder. It's also leading spiritually. And Paul makes it very, very clear in Ephesians 6 that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And so when you say yes to being an elder, you are placed on the front lines in that spiritual battle. And so when the pressure starts coming in, whatever is in you and your character, if you're not above reproach, if you're not blameless, then you're going to get squeezed. And whatever was in there before you became an elder, it's what's going to come out. And it's going to affect the entire church. The past three, four, five years, I've just seen time after time after time, famous megachurch pastors have to step down or be removed because of various indiscretions. They got squeezed and started to find their true character. They weren't actually blameless like they led everyone to believe. This is a tough spot to be. It is so much pressure. And that's why you've got to seek these people who will humbly seek after Jesus. And that part of that, where you see that, is in their home. Do you see this man dedicated to his wife? If he's dedicated to his wife, he's probably going to be dedicated to the church. I, a couple other things. I, I know some churches that because it says husband of one wife, a one man woman, I'm sorry, a one woman man, uh, that would mean that, oh, so if you're divorced, you're absolutely out. Mm, I would say no. Because what if, what if your divorce happened before you came to know Christ? Well, what if your wife left you and you were seeking after Jesus deeply and dearly? I, I don't think that automatically disqualifies you. It's more of a character thing. Like, did you just leave your wife because, now ah, we just kept arguing. I just got sick of it, so I just dumped her so I could find someone else. Okay, then you're focused on self. You're probably not going to be the right person then. Also, I know some churches that would say if you're widowed and, and remarried, you, you can't be an elder. I, I totally disagree with that because, I mean, let's say a guy is married to a woman and she gets cancer and he's with her through the entire thing and he's devoted to her and he's at her bedside when she passes away. That's the kind of guy I want to be an elder because if he's that devoted to his wife, even to the very end, man, he's going to be there for the, the church and he'll be there to the very end. And so I don't think it means, oh, man, if you married more than once, I, I think you're automatically out. I think it's more of a heart. It's more about the character. And then also the second part there, he talks about kids. It says, you know, the, ki the kids must be believers. Um, my, my wife's uh, grandpa Rice uh, was an amazing man. Uh, Carl Rice invited college students to his house for Bible study, uh, led that, opened up their home. He, he uh, taught the sixth grade Sunday school class. At his funeral, the room was filled with, with people who were in his sixth grade Sunday school class talking about Mr. Rice and, and all he did. Uh, all right, this guy just loved Jesus deeply and dearly, and he could, just, he could share the scriptures with you, and, and he'd sometimes just say, hey, let's just pause and pray. I mean, this was a godly man. He was an elder type of individual. And yet, he has four kids, and his first three love Jesus deeply and dearly, but his fourth one just would not choose to follow the Lord. That would not make me pause and say, you know, I don't think he should be an elder. Because as you look at the totality of his life, you see a man who wasn't perfect. But man, Carl Rice was blameless. He led his family well. He was devoted to his wife. He was an elder. But I contrast that to another individual I know. 
He knows his Bible in and out. Uh, he's actually assumed leadership positions in, in some churches he's been in. And yet he had three kids, and all three rebelled hard, hard. Now, one of them, I'm thrilled to report, is back to following Jesus and is now in full-time ministry. But the other two, no. One, unfortunately, died in a very freak accident. I remember talking with someone one day, and he just says, you know, I'm, look at that situation, and there's got to be something going on. You just sense that all of his kids just were fighting against Jesus. It wasn't just that they were disinterested. I mean, they were fighting against Jesus and the church. And it just made you wonder, was there something that was happening in the home? And so if he was applying to be an elder, we'd probably have to have some difficult conversations during the application process to really understand why did this happen? Because Paul is saying this man, he needs to lead in such a way, he needs to shepherd his children so that they will see the beauty of the gospel. But this man doesn't just shepherd those in his home. He also needs to lead those who are outside of the, the home. So the next phrase is, and those around him. Look at verse 8. It says that this man is to be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He's saying these things right after all of those negative things he said. Well, all of those negative things, they were about someone who was very self-focused. And so these things are to contrast. In other words, it means that he is willing to even say no to himself. Notice it says that he's to be a lover of good, not a lover of self. If he loves what is good, now it's not about him. That's why he can then, you know, in the next part, he can be self-controlled. He can be upright, holy, disciplined. He's willing to say no to himself for the better of others. And that's why the very first word there is hospitable. The idea of hospitality is, is inviting strangers into your home. That's the definition. And so when you invite people into your home, you don't invite them in so that they're there to serve you. You know, say, hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Okay, you're going to find the, uh, you know, ingredients in the cupboard here and pots and pans are up there. And yeah, get after it and let me know when dinner's done. No, you're bringing them into your home to serve them. You are to be hospitable. An elder has to be hospitable, has to serve others. It isn't about them and their leadership role. It's about serving the church family, stewarding them, helping them find and follow Jesus. Then he is also to shepherd them in this next word, willingly. He is to do this willingly. Uh, if you want to, keep your uh, finger in Titus, but skip over to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. We're going to be in 1 Peter next week, and we're going to study this section uh, verse by verse. But I just want to draw out one thing. So consider this like a little sneak peek. Verse 2 of chapter 5 says this, that an elder is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, you are to do this role. You are to fulfill this, this call with a willing heart. If you do it begrudgingly, if you do it because you feel coerced or tricked into doing it, you feel like you were arm twisted into being an elder, man, you are not going to serve just self-sacrificially. Uh, you're not going to serve it sacrificially. You're, you're going to go in and you're going to be tired of the people. The idea is Jesus is the, the head shepherd and he calls these under shepherds to help shepherd his church. The, the scriptures talk about God's people being like sheep. Sheep are dumb. I'm not trying to insult you because I would consider myself a sheep too, but sheep are dumb animals, right? They rely so heavily upon the shepherd. They don't know where to go. I mean, they would starve if the shepherd didn't take them to other fields. I mean, they'd get picked off by, by wolves just constantly. They are helpless animals. So you, an elder has to want to be with these dumb 
animals. If they feel coerced into it, their heart's not into it. And as soon as trouble comes, they're, they're out. And that's not taking care of God's church. They've got to love the church. They've got to love God's people. And, and even in the middle of the mess, even when the sheep are being stinky and dumb, they've got to be right there in with them, loving them, caring for them, and leading them. Because these guys really aren't shepherds. They're really just lead sheep. They're sheep themselves, trying to follow the shepherd. And basically just trying to get the other sheep to say, hey, the, the shepherd's going that way. Let's, let's go. And so they have to do this willingly. And then the last part, back in Titus, uh, in verse 9, we, we kind of see that the, the, uh, this elder is to lead the church to uphold the gospel. They are leading the church to uphold the gospel. Verse 9 says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The trustworthy word here is the gospel. The, the gospel is the story of Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And it isn't just our entrance ticket into heaven. It's the very means by which we connect with God. And so if you want to go deeper in your spiritual relationship with God, you go through the gospel. And so that's why Paul is saying you, they have to uphold this trustworthy word. They've got to hold on to what they were taught, and then they have to give it to others. And so these elders, they have to kind of be able to teach, to disciple. Now, it does not mean they have to get up here and, and, and preach like this. It, it could just be, simply be getting together for lunch with someone and, and saying, hey, you know what, I was, I was reading the scriptures this week. And, and they could, you know, start sharing it with them. Or, or they, they just text someone a, a Bible verse to encourage them. Or, or they, you know, they, they, in the home, they, they just find themselves, you know, like talking to the kids saying, oh, hey, look. we don't do that because here's what the scriptures teach. And they just begin to pour this out. And, and so it doesn't mean they're experts in the, in the scriptures, but they're willing to hold on to the gospel and try to give it to others, to teach others, because there are all sorts of doctrines that have tried to infiltrate the church through time and tried to get it away from Jesus. In Paul's day, it was Jewish legalism. There were people traveling around saying, you have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. You have to uphold the Jewish festivals in order to truly be a Christian. And Paul just like wanted to pull his hair out if, if he had hair. I, some people say he was bald. But, you know, he's just like, oh, maybe that's why he was bald. Because he's like, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You don't have to do anything. You can't save yourself. That's why he says in Ephesians 2 that it's not by work so that no one can boast. It's purely by the grace of God. And so he's fighting against this, this doctrine that's trying to infiltrate. It, we're going to study the book of 1 John later this fall one of the things John was fighting against was Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this, this belief that anything material or physical was evil or bad. And so therefore, Christians heard this like, oh no, but, but that would mean oh, if Jesus was physical, he must have been bad. And so they started coming up with this doctrine that, oh no, no, Jesus just came in spirit. And John looked at that and goes, that's dumb. I saw the guy eat. I touched his, you know, I saw him die on the cross. I touched him. I leaned against him. I like, I walked with this guy for three years. He was a physical human being, right? He was fighting against this doctrine. Throughout history, we, we've seen like the church have to fight, you know, like the doctrine of indulgences, trying to get people back to Jesus. And even in our day and age, we, we sometimes have to fight against things like the prosperity gospel or the social gospel. There, there are certain conversations that are taking place like the LGBTQ conversation and trying to help people hold to the gospel and not just go with the whims of culture, not just go with what sounds good, not just go with what we feel, but to hold to the truth of the gospel and to help the church do that. God just places, it puts in place 
men to help shepherd and guide and remind. It's about Jesus. So this is why we need elders who are, <clears throat> who must be, uh, sorry, I'll just say it this way. An elder must be a man of character who shepherds his family and those around him willingly leading the church to uphold the gospel. So I'd like you to do uh, two things. <clears throat> First, if you are a Riverwood partner, I need you to help speak into this. Uh, right now, we have some men uh, filling out these elder applications. Uh, we're going to go through them and try to interview them. And then through that process, we sense that, all right, I think this might be the right person. We're going to bring them to you. And we're going to need you to, to listen. Yeah, you, you already know them. We're not a very large church. And, and yet some of you probably don't know them as well as you should and as well as you need to. And, and some of you, you've, you've played together. You, you've done growth group together. You, you've, you know, you've done things. And, and we need you to speak in and say, yeah, that, that's a person I would follow. That, that's someone like, they make me want to follow Jesus. And, and so we need you to help identify them. You've already nominated them. Now we need you to say, yep, that, that's the right person. Or, you know, I, I don't know if that's the right spot for them in our church at this point right now. So I, I need you to help uh, uh, speak into this, this process. So last week I asked you to pray about it. This week I'm asking you to speak into it. But I, I want you to do one more thing. And this is going to sound really strange. But I want you to act like an elder. Now, I, I realize that only certain people have this call to be an elder. But did you hear what that was said in this whole passage? Like, like, like think about it. Who embodied what we just read better than Jesus? No, no one. All right. Well, what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? Well, it means to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. Which means, then, as you look through that, yeah, he's describing an elder, but you know what? You can live life not being arrogant. You, you can not be greedy. You, you could show hospitality. You could seek to grow in the, the spiritual uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit of being self-controlled. You, you can uphold the gospel. Just because Paul is spelling this out of here who should be an elder, it doesn't mean you can't do these things too. Because really what Paul is saying is, find guys who look like Jesus and are trying to help other people look like Jesus. Why can't you just start going and looking like Jesus? Why not submit and surrender yourself to God? Letting him do that deep inner work in you to mold you and shape you. Because if you do, you're going to inevitably start looking a bit like this. Now, I realize some of you, not some, most of us are not called to be elders. But you are called to serve. And, and so why not in your walk with Jesus and this, uh, this desire to help other people follow Jesus, like if you have a spiritual gift of music, then, then you should be up here helping us worship God. So some of you, you have a spiritual gift of acts of service. So you just need to get involved and, and start helping in, in various areas or out in the community. And we're better because of it. Some of you, you have acts of mercy. Like you are gifted to sit down with someone, to listen, to pray with them, to comfort them. We need you to do that. But at the same time, some of you, you're called to lead. You're called to help lead this church family to know Jesus, to love him and make him known. Will you do that? Will you serve there? Wherever it is that God's called us, I want to invite you to follow him there. 
because this church family, we're growing, not just numerically. My prayer is that we are growing spiritually and that we are growing in such a way that we are making Jesus look beautiful to the rest of the world because there's a world out there that needs to know Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of their sins and he's calling them to follow him. And we just might be the church that helps them find that relationship with Jesus and begin that journey of following him. And to help us along, we really believe that we need godly elders to help lead us in that direction. So Father, I, I just pray you would take what I've said and you would help us to, to find your truth in it all. That it, it would really be about what you've already said in the scriptures and not about the words that I've uttered this morning. God, I just uh, pray for this entire process of finding elders. You would help us as a church to truly identify the, the men who, who are, are blameless in their character. They're men who make us want to follow Jesus. They're uh, individuals who are seeking to grow after you. And, and even though we know they're not perfect, we know that when they stumble, they're, they're, they're falling towards you and falling towards your grace. And, and we need their example. We, we need them to, to lead us. And so, God, would you just oversee this entire process? And God, would you protect us from any arguing and infighting about this, these doctrines or about these people, but that we would truly have a sense that you, Jesus, are our head pastor and you are leading us and we are together collectively following you. Because God, I believe that our best days as a church family are ahead. And, and a part of those best days are going to be having this team to help lead us and love us and shepherd us to know you, Christ, and to make you known. Jesus, we also want to just pause and say thank you for being the true shepherd, for being the best elder. You, you are the true pastor. You're the head of the church, and you're the head of this church. And you are the, the head of our lives. And so God, I pray for the Jesus followers in this room, that they would continue to seek after you and put you first, and they would allow you to use the spiritual gifts that you've placed in them for the benefit of your body. So God, as we come to the communion tables, would you just be glorified would you remind us, Jesus, of what you did for us? That as the best leader ever, you served, you died, and made that call us to do the same. That we would die to ourselves. Well, we wouldn't be arrogant, we wouldn't be quick tempered, we wouldn't be violent, we wouldn't be greedy for gain. Instead, we would be men and women who are chasing hard after you, letting you be the leader in our life, so that as we are Jesus centered and others focused, we are able to help those around us truly see who you are and see the beauty of the gospel. And so as we come to the table, may you just take all of us, our brokenness, our weaknesses, and continue to do your deep work in us to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.